Good morning. It is such a privilege to be with all of you, and I'm grateful to Miriam for inviting me. Again, it's such a pleasure to be with Kol Taramitzion Women's Beit Midrash and to be able to share uh, three insights into this week's Parsha, the Parsha of Korach. I'm not proud to tell you the following story about me. I'm not proud of it, but um, this experience is illuminating in a very important way. So there was an incident. It occurred over 20 years ago uh, where I lost my temper in a significant way. I'm not going to share all the details because it involves another person. Uh, it was within a personal context, I'll say that. It was a situation that, as much as I regret how I acted, called for being upset, but I certainly did not express it properly. And I do not mean for a moment to suggest that this is the only time I've lost my temper, but but this is something that, that I will never forget. So there was this situation and I lost my temper. I became very angry and I acted in a way that it's as if I was outside of myself watching myself being ridiculous. I ended up really um, embarrassing myself and embarrassing another person, which is a terrible thing to do. And, but it's as if I was watching it happen and I could see how ridiculous and how absurd I was acting and how counterproductive my response to this situation, how counterproductive it was. It was a terrible, terrible experience. I think about it all the time. I regret it all the time. I continue to be embarrassed by it. So I'm not proud to tell you about it, but it is important because when we become angry, when we lose our temper, which is such a great English phrase, we become ridiculous. Now, all too often when we're in it, we don't sense it. And that's part of the danger of anger and hatred is that it causes blindness in ourselves so we don't even see at the moment, usually, how illogical and irrational we are behaving. But it is clear to everyone around us. Vayikach Korach Ben Levi. So Korach puts together a coalition. Korach 
is from the tribe of Levi. He added together Dasan and Aviram and On Ben Peles, who were from the tribe of Reuven. Then Hamishim, Hamishim Un Mosayim, Nesie Eda, 250 leaders. Our sages explain they were Bukhorim, the firstborn of their family. So Korach in our Parsha is rebelling against the authority of Moshe and Aharon. Korach was a Levi. He was Moshe and Aaron's cousin. And he thought, according to Rashi, that he should have been chosen as the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, instead of Aharon. And he brought together, he joined together a coalition. He joined together descendants of Reuven. Now, Reuven was the firstborn of Yaakov's 12 sons, and the descendants of Reuven felt that they should have been the leaders of the Jewish people because they were the descendants of Yaakov's firstborn son, Reuven. He gathered together 250 firstborn from each of their families. Each of them was a firstborn son. They felt that they should have been the leaders of the Jewish people, the Bukhar, the firstborn. And in fact, before the Egel, before the golden calf, that was God's plan, that the firstborn, the Bukhar of every family, should be the ones to serve in the Mishkan, in the Beit HaMikdash, as the spiritual leaders of the Jewish people. But because of the sin of the golden calf, where the firstborn participated in that sin, but the tribe of Levi did not, God transferred that leadership from the firstborn to the tribe of Levi, which was further divided into Kohen and Levi. But the firstborn joined together with Korach because they felt that they should be the leaders. Now, anybody can see that that coalition is bound to fail. And please, for a moment, I'm not making any political comments now. I spoke earlier this morning about Israeli politics. I'm not talking about Israeli politics now. I'm just talking about the Parsha. Sometimes... The Parsha is just about the Parsha. But the coalition cannot possibly survive because if the descendants of Reuven get what they want, then the 250 firstborn will not get what they want. And if the firstborn get what they want, then Korach will not get what he wants. It was illogical. It made no sense. But they didn't see it. They didn't see it because all they could see was their hatred and jealousy of Moshe and Aharon. They couldn't see the confusion of their own alliance. 
we have in our Parsha an even more striking example of this. Now, when you read it in the Torah, it sounds like a mistake, like a typo. So again, this coalition comes together. They're rebelling against Moshe, against Aaron, against God. Moshe tries to diffuse the situation. Moshe asks to meet with Dasan and Aviram, two of the people involved with this. And, and they refuse to meet with Moshe. They refuse even to discuss having some kind of diplomatic resolution to this rebellion. And they say the following words. Hama'at ki helisanu me'eret zavas chalavud vash lahamisenu bamidbar. Moshe, we're not going to come talk to you. Isn't it enough that you took us out of Egypt, the land flowing with milk and honey, lahamisenu bamidbar, in order for us to die here in the desert? Hold on a second. Just one minute. Mitzrayim, Egypt, is Zavas Chalav Udvash. Egypt is a land flowing, right? It's got to be a mistake, right? It's got to be a printing error. Eretz Zavas Chalav Udvash in the eyes of Dustin and Aviram is Egypt. That's flowing with milk and honey, the place where you were beaten, where you were slaves, where you were persecuted where your firstborn were killed, that's flowing with milk and honey? But that's what anger does. Our sages say that kaas, losing one's temper, mikalkeles esashura. It makes you ridiculous. It makes you illogical. Rav Amital, Rav Yehuda Amital, of blessed memory said, if only we could just check ourselves before we are blinded by hatred and jealousy and anger, before we become foolish. If only we could take a moment to check ourselves, we could avoid so much pain and destruction, both on the macro level, the national level, the communal level, and on the micro level in the lives of every single one of us. This Friday begins the month of Tammuz, Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. Tammuz is the month on the 17th that we begin the period of the three weeks that lead to Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. The Gemara tells the famous story of the cause of the Churban. Why was the Beit HaMikdash destroyed? And the Talmud tells this story. Presumably, the Gemara means to say that this story is representative of or emblematic of the type of behavior that was going on that led to the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And it's the famous story of Kamsa 
and Bar Kamsa. And briefly, it goes like this. In Jerusalem, about 2,000 years ago, there was a man who was making a party. And this man had a friend. His name was Kamsa. It just so happens that this man had an enemy whose name was Bar Kamsa. Similar name, but very different people. One was his best friend. One was his worst enemy. He sent a messenger to invite Kamsa, his friend, to his party. By accident, the messenger delivered the invitation to his enemy, Bar Kamsa. And Bar Kamsa came to the party. The man threw him out of his house. It created a terrible argument. And that led, says the rabbis in the Gemara, to the ultimate destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Says Rav Amital, Every one of us thinks that we are Kamsa. Every one of us thinks we're popular. We're the friend. And if there would be some machlokes, if there would be some controversy going on, everyone would take my side because everyone knows I'm a good person. We all think that. The truth is, the world is not like that. The truth is, whenever we get involved in a machlokes, we are bar kamsa. We are the one who is hated. All of a sudden, people who we thought were our friends, we thought were our supporters, all of a sudden when there is a machlokes, we become bar kamsa. It's used as an excuse to undermine us, to oppose us, to treat us like an enemy. We don't get the support we think we're going to get. And Rav Amital says, this is the lesson to learn from this story and the lesson to learn from Korach. The only way to avoid the fate of Bar Kamsa is to avoid Machlokes completely. So let me share with you briefly two stories, two incredible stories. It's very hard to live up to these stories, but at least let them be goals. Let it be aspirational, what we should strive to achieve. The first story is about Rav Shlomo Zaman Orbach. I've shared many stories about this incredible person. The, one of the greatest halakhic authorities in Israel, the previous generation, and also a person with the most sterling character, the most refinement of Midos. It happened that his son got married to the daughter of Rav Usher Zev Warner, and they made a wedding. His son, his daughter, they made a wedding. At the wedding, there was a problem with the fish. There was something off about the fish. As soon as Roshlom and Orbach realized that the fish was rotten, <clears throat> he ran to the caterer and he said to him, listen to me carefully. I agree with my mechutten. I agree with the other side that I would pay for half the costs of the wedding. But the fish is inedible. It's rotten. Now, I'm worried that when 
the other side, when the Mechutin finds out about this, he's going to refuse to pay his half because you serve rotten food. So therefore, I won't let that happen. I am telling you, I will pay the full amount. You're not going to lose anything. The caterer started to laugh. <clears throat> and he said, Rav Arbach, two minutes ago, the father of the bride came in and he told me the exact same thing. That's a good shidduch. And that's how one avoids machlokes, even when there's such a tremendous temptation to do so. One more story. This is a story I heard from Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch Weinrib. And it concerns a great Hasidic leader in the early 1900s in Poland, whose name is Rav Yisrael Danziger. He wrote an important sefer called Yismach Yisrael. And his father's name, he succeeded his father as a Hasidic Rebbe. His father's name was Rav Yechiel Danziger. And each of them, first the father, then the son, they were the Rebbe, the head of a Hasidic court. Now, that's not such a familiar thing to us nowadays, but in former times, in certain parts of the Hasidic world, keep in mind, the Hasidic world, 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s, tremendous variation. But in certain parts of the Hasidic world during that period, there were certain groups of the Hasidim that were like royalty. And the Rebbe dressed in what looked like royal garments and was surrounded like like, uh, I don't know, Louis XIV at Versailles, you know, uh, a, a court and uh, followers and uh, advisors and, and it was like royalty. And there was a certain uh, choreography and a certain behavior that these Rebbies established for themselves. Okay, whatever. We're not so familiar with such a thing, but that's what exists. So, Rabbi Yisrael once told a story that he learned from his father, Rabbi Yechiel. Rabbi Yechiel once had an issue that he needed to speak with a Rebbe in a neighboring area. And so the way the protocol went is um, one Rebbe would send a delegation to the other Rebbe and the delegation would present what the Rebbe wanted or the question or the discussion and then bring back the report. So Rebbe Yechiel sent his delegation to speak to this other Rebbe who also was the head of this kind of a Hasidic court with all the accoutrement and choreography and hangers-on that existed. And this other Rebbe treated Rabbi Yechiel's delegation with disrespect, made them wait in line, didn't give them a, an appointment right away. When they came in to speak to the Rebbe, he only spoke to them for a few minutes. He didn't greet them as the representatives of this other august 
Rebbe did not agree to what was being requested, did not escort them out of his study as was the protocol, treated them in a really terrible manner. Okay? They came back to Rabbi Yechiel and they told the whole story, a full report to Rabbi Yechiel of how they were treated on this mission. About a year later, this other Rebbe needed a favor from Rebbe Yechiel. So he sent his delegation to Rebbe Yechiel. The delegation arrived and Rebbe Yechiel, the Rebbe, gave orders to his entourage, bring them in right away, treat them with respect. He came out to greet them, which is usually unheard of. He gave them as much time as they wanted. He acceded to their request on behalf of the other Rebbe. He escorted them out of his office. He treated them with the utmost dignity and honor that could possibly be expected. So after this delegation left, his son, Rebbe Yisrael, said to him, I don't know, Rebbe or dad or Abba, whatever you call them, Tati, don't you remember what, what they did to you last year? the way they treated your delegation just last year? How could you treat them with this overflowing honor and respect? And here's Rabbi Chiel's answer. I would rather they learn from me how to be a mensch than I learn from them how to be a boor. What a lesson but it's not the end of the story. So I told you I heard this story from Ritzvi Hirsch Weinreb, and it goes further. He told that he had told this story in a certain audience, and when he told the story to this audience afterwards, a man came up to him and said to him, I am a descendant of that other Rebbe. And we have a tradition that has been passed down through the generations of what happened after that story on our side. The Rebbe, the other Rebbe, when his emissaries came back and reported to him how they had been treated so respectfully by Rebbe Chiel, that other Rebbe, he burst into tears and he said, Rabbi Yechiel is a better Jew than I am. We have to learn from our mistake and become more like him. The truth is we all face conflicts in life, large and small. We have to use the instances where we see the destruction it causes within our own lives, within the lives of others around us, and in our Parsha. And when we see what it causes in us and in others, and how ridiculous it makes us, we have to learn to that, we have to learn from that to strive to be a mensch and to teach others by our actions to be a mensch.
Okay, so how do you do that? How do you avoid becoming ridiculous? So allow me to share with you a Dvar Torah that I heard from Rabbi Baruch Pertin, who we all remember, hopefully fondly, I certainly do. Let's look at these psukim one more time. Korach gathers together this coalition. They're rebelling against Moshe. Vayishma Moshe, this is from the beginning, near the beginning of the parsha. Vayishma Moshe, Moshe hears about this rebellion. Vayipol Alpanov, and he falls down on his face in agony and worry and disappointment. Vayidaber al Korach vel kol adaso, lemor. And Moshe says to Korach and all of his followers the following words, Boker, tomorrow morning, God is going to prove to you who God has chosen. I didn't choose anybody. Don't hold me accountable for the fact that Aaron is the Kohen Gadol. That was God's choice. Tomorrow morning, God's going to show you. Now, if Moshe knew that God was going to perform a miracle that would demonstrate conclusively that Moshe was right and Korach and his followers were wrong, if Moshe knew that God was going to provide a miracle that would end the controversy, why is it tomorrow? Why not now? There's no doubt about this. There's nothing mysterious about it. Do it now. Why is it Boker tomorrow? There are a number of reasons, but the Or HaChayim, one of the classic commentators on the Torah says, don't act when you are angry. Wait until you calm down. The Torah says, Moshe heard what happened. Vayipol al-Ponav. He was angry. He was upset. He was disappointed. That's not the moment to respond. Tomorrow. Let it sit. Don't act right away. This is crucially important in so many areas of life. In Shalom Bayis, the way we parent our children, there's an incredible insight of the Gra, Rabbi, Rabbi Elio of Vilna, the Vilna Gon, in his commentary to Mishle, which talks about parents disciplining children. Says the Vilna Gon, if your child has done something, you feel you need to discipline your child. If you are angry, you are not permitted. You're not allowed to discipline your child while you're angry. Wait calm down, then you have an obligation of chinuch, of educating your child, of giving constructive criticism. Discipline in whatever positive way will be helpful. While you're angry, no mitzvah. You're not only exempt, you're not allowed. I've shared this before, an incredible story about Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky of Blessed Memory. As you know, he spearheaded the effort to have Jews who have been afflicted 
with the terrible problem of addiction to drugs and alcohol and other kinds of addictions to participate in AA Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, in his opinion and the opinion of many experts, one of the central components to being able to overcome addiction. He was at a convention a number of years ago and someone told him a comment that one of the great Israeli rabbis had said condemning any Jew who participates in AA. And this person came to Dr. Tversky and told him what this other well-known rabbi had said and asked Rabbi Dr. Tversky, what do you say about that? And Dr. Tversky said, right now I'm angry. I don't say anything. The first and perhaps most important step when provoked is to avoid being consumed by machlokes, by delaying any response until things calm down. Let me share one last uh, short piece. There's a mitzvah near the end of the Parsha it's interesting how this Parsha and last week's Parsha have a, and, and the Parsha before, have a uh, narrative that takes up most of the Parsha. And then at the end, there are one or several individual mitzvah commandments that appear to be completely unrelated to the narrative. They're kind of plopped down there, but on closer inspection, they actually have rather important connections to the narrative of the Parsha, but that connection is for another time. Let's just look at the mitzvah. Near the end of our Parsha, we have the mitzvah of Pidyon Haben. The Torah says, Pado sifte es adam. There is a mitzvah to redeem the firstborn son. This should happen after the child has been alive for a full 30 days. So it happens on the 31st day unless it's Shabbos or Yom Tov, it's pushed off to the next day. And the redemption takes place with five silver coins. So the mitzvah pi in Aben is a beautiful mitzvah. It has a number of limitations. And that's why it's not such a common mitzvah, but it's a ceremony that takes place where the firstborn son is redeemed and the idea of it is kind of connected to what we talked about before, that originally God had intended the firstborn of each family to be the spiritual leaders of the Jewish people. It was transferred after the Agel to the tribe of Levi and to the subset of Kohen. So a father of a firstborn son goes to a Kohen after the child has been alive for 30 days on the 31st day and redeems the child by giving five silver coins to the Kohen. Because it relates to this issue of the substitution of Kohen and Levi for firstborn, if the child that is born is a Kohen or Levi, it does not take place. So a child, a baby boy who is born where the father or the mother is, the, is a Kohen or a Levi 
or the daughter of a Kohen, or the daughter of a Levi, there is no Pidyan Haben required. And also, it only takes place if the baby is born in a natural manner. It does not take place if the baby is born through cesarean section. And also, it only takes place if this baby boy is the first issue of its mother. So if the mother first gave birth to a daughter and then to a son, that does not require Piyinaben. If the mother was pregnant and, God forbid, miscarried, there are more details to this, but a bit of an overgeneralization and miscarried, then the next child, even if that's a boy, does not have Piyinaben. So there are a number of uh, limitations to when this ceremony will take place, which is why we don't have it so often, but hopefully everyone here has been at least once to a Piyinaben. And if you have been, if you have not, you should try to because it's an incredible ceremony. But it is a scripted event. It's an event that takes place. The tradition is to do it on the afternoon of the 31st day. Again, if it's Shabbos or Yom Tif, it gets delayed because it involves transferring money. So that cannot happen on Shabbos or Yom Tif. And the tradition is to do it within the course of a meal. Of course, during COVID, it's been done on Zoom, okay? But it is a scripted ceremony, a dialogue between the father and the Kohen. And the dialogue is printed in almost every sitter, and it goes like this. The father stands with the Kohen, everyone's watching, either in person or on Zoom. And the father says, Zebni Bukhari, this Maybe he's holding the baby. The truth is he doesn't even have to be holding the baby. The, the truth is he doesn't even have to have the baby present physically, but let's say he's holding the baby. Zebni Bukhari, this is my firstborn. Peter Rechem Le'imo, the first issue of his mother's body. And God has commanded us in the mitzvah of Pidyon Haben. And he quotes the Pasuk, the verse that I just read. Then... The Kohen says to the father, My bias tfei, what do you prefer? Do you want to give me, the Kohen says to the father, do you want to give me your son, your firstborn son? Oh, or, behind door number two, or, you have a second choice, oh, bias lifdoso bar chamesh slayim, or would you prefer to redeem your son with five silver coins as the Torah obligates you? It's kind of a strange question. So the father says, this is what's printed in the Siddur, and we hope this is what the father is going to say. I want to redeem my son. And I want to give you the five silver coins as the Torah obligates. Okay. Then they make a bracha. They transfer the money. The Kohen gives a bracha. They drink from a cup of wine. Okay. <laughs> what kind of a question is that? My biased fey? Which do you prefer? And, and <laughs> leaving aside... Are you actually asking a father, does he want to give his firstborn child to some other person? Leaving that aside, 
it's not even true. Meaning, you might think if you read these words, I'm reading the words, you might think that the father actually has a choice. Forget about what the mother's going to say, you know. But it sounds like he's got a choice. Cohen says, you choose. Either I take the baby or you give me the, the coins. But that's not true. That's not, there's no sense in Jewish law in which that's true. If the father refuses, the boy doesn't belong to the Kohen. There is no option. It is a mitzvah. It is an obligation of the father to give these five coins. He can do it or he cannot do it. But there is no choice about it. There's no choice about whether to observe Shabbos. It's a mitzvah. You're required to. If you choose not to observe the mitzvah, you don't lose your child. So what's going on here? Rav Yochanan's Zweig gives the following answer. And he says, unfortunately, very often we go through life and we do choose money over our children. Not overtly. I'm not talking, God forbid, about something abusive or irrational. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about well-meaning people. I'm talking about us. Not overtly. But how often do we rationalize? For example, the long hours we work when it is to the detriment of spending more time with our children. And we rationalize it. We rationalize it by saying, well, but I need to earn a living to provide for my children. If I don't work these long hours, I won't be able to provide what my children need. Or some of us will rationalize. Of course, I'm doing it for my children. I'm doing it to be able to work on behalf of the community. I'm doing it in order to do what God wants, to be a Torah leader. That is really the benefit. It's a rationalization. Because the fact is that our children need us. And the fact is that they need us in our lives as parents and grandparents more than they need the extra income we earn, more than they need the extra time spent away on what we think is a higher priority. Jackie Kennedy Onassis reminded us there is no job in life that is as important as raising our children. And that's what the mitzvah piyin aben is trying to teach us. Our sages have set up this ceremony in a way so that a father of a newborn child and all of the guests who are watching and listening to this dialogue remind ourselves to honestly ask this question of ourselves. No rationalizations, no excuses, my boy's tfei. Forget what my words say. What do my actions say? My boy's tfei. What's my priority? And to answer ourselves honestly. 
And if the answer, honestly, between ourselves and our own hearts, if our answer is not then we need to change our actions to match the words that we say. The mitzvah of Pigyan Aben and the ceremony that our sages have set up around it is a powerful reminder to get us on track or back on track to recognizing what should be the priority in our lives. My friends, I want to thank you so much for allowing me to be with you this morning. I miss being together with you in person, but I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person. Thank you so much for inviting me this morning.